Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 577 of the Juicebox Podcast. Well, today's episode is with Cindy, and she's had type 1 diabetes for 50 years. Now, this one's an after dark, but interesting story. I put the edit on this one maybe a month ago, and at this moment, as I'm putting on the ads, I don't remember why I made it an after dark. I just have a voice note at the end of this uh, to myself that says, make the length of, how do I, I forget how I put it, something about uh, the episode title is the length of Cindy's time with type one. And this is an after dark, but that's it. And I don't remember why. So we're going to find out together. I'll listen when it goes up too. while you and I are listening. Let's both remember that nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Have you filled out the T1D exchange survey? I'll ask again, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box, US residents, please. All right, here we go. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. The podcast is also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. Learn more at contournext.com forward slash juice box. My name is Cindy. I live in Washington, D.C. Um, everybody asks you at Happy Hours in Washington, what do you do? That's like their first question. So it probably doesn't really apply to the podcast, but I'm a managing editor for Scholarly Publications. And I have been type one for many, 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 many years. Do you mean that when people find out you live in D.C., they imagine you're involved in government or lobbying or something like that? It's a D.C. thing. Like anywhere you go, hi, I'm Cindy. What do you do? It's, <laughs> it's a D.C. thing. It's all about work. This town is work, 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 work. Do you think it's, hi, I'm Cindy, and then the person wants to know how they can, how you can help them in their career? <laughs> exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Can you be valuable to me, Cindy, should be the next statement, not what do you do? Probably not. No, I'm sorry, Scott. I don't think that's going to happen. You don't think it'll work for me? <laughs> it's funny how... Um, I mean, unless you want to start editing or writing, or you do plenty of editing, I'm sure. But. I have to tell you, I'm a um, a terrible writer. It, and in that I just didn't... I paid no attention in school. And then I wrote a book which is the oddest thing. And as I was writing, there were just times where I just couldn't, I'm like, is that a comma? No. You know, like I just, I'm I, structurally, I'm terrible. Uh, I got a lot of nice feedback about the book and the way it flowed and how it read, but I didn't know the first thing about what I was doing. So I think I actually have your book. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Had to <laughs> and, be prepared, you know. Does it need to be re-edited? Is that what you're thinking? No, I think it's okay. I think it'll fly. <laughs> Thank you. So how old are you now and how old were you when you were diagnosed? Oh, my goodness. I'm 59 and I was nine when I was diagnosed. Wow. Did you get like one of those medals, the Lily medals? You know, my family's kind of flaking out on me 
for the Jocelyn's medal, you have to, since obviously I don't have any records of when I was diagnosed, you have to have family members write letters. And so I drafted letters for my family to just fill in the blanks and sign. Nobody did it. Oh, man. So serious? my significant other um, really wants me to get the medal because he's really in all about recognition. He's very big Washingtonian that way. And so he's like, I'll write the letters for you. I'm like, no, I've got the letters. I'll sign them. I'm like, no, you can't sign Sydney, what are you touching? Oh, sorry. My pump. My bracelet is... <laughs> it's okay. I will not use my hands, okay? No, no, no. I, I, listen, I talk with my hands uh, when I'm not... It's odd. When I do the podcast, I do a little, but in person, I do it a lot. And um, I've, I think I've stopped myself because I know I bumped the microphone and cables and things like that. But that's that was just so funny because people won't understand that right before we started recording, we, we set you all up so that you wouldn't touch anything. And then you, I could hear you getting excited and telling a story. And I was like, did she find something to touch? So. No, it's my, it's my dog tags on my wrist, um, bumping against my pump. It's okay. I just, yeah, let's, uh, so yeah, well, my arms crossed now. Let's see if that works. <laughs> You're going to be sitting on your hands by the time we're done. Yeah. Um, so I have, so that's interesting. I didn't know we'd be talking about this right away, but so you understood that family members probably, these weren't the people who you could just say, hey, I need you to write a letter. So you said, look, here's a letter explaining my diabetes. Can you sign it and mail it? And, and I got no response. I don't know why. I don't know. if I mean, maybe things are going on in their lives. But I was really pretty disappointed. I was like, oh, come on, you guys. Because you need somebody to say this is what was happening. And I, I did all the Googling, like who was president mm-hmm. and um, just so you have to sort of be able to account for current events at the time and the test that they knew you when you were diagnosed. And I may pursue it again. Um, my mom's 95 though now, so I'm not sure she's really up for it. Gotcha. But well, if you need me, I can sign your mom's name and mail it for you. Okay, well, me. I think I got somebody. I mean, he was like, I'll, I'll sign it for you. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't have a lot of authenticity to it. But, okay. I'd be happy to sign your mom's name is what I'm saying. So you just send it over here. It's how I got through middle school uh, with tests. I found a lovely girl named Karen who um, I just decided she would be my mom. And so I just had her start it. This is very devious, but I I pre-planned knowing that I was not going to do well in school and that they would make you get these tests signed if they didn't go well. So instead of ever having my mom sign one of them, I just went to this girl named Karen and I was like, Karen, I'm going to need you to be my mom throughout school. So for years, Karen was my mother. Wow, that's pretty clever. Yeah, you got to think ahead if you know you're going to mess up. Is that That's a... And and that girl did it. She was so nice about it. I I think it was frustrating at some points because I really didn't do well. Uh, She liked you. I don't think so. She was so pretty. I, 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 um, like she was definitely one of the girls that, as I think back, I would have been nervous to talk to. And so I just was, you know, it's like, hey, can you sign this? Eventually, uh, (laughs) a girl named Julie also took it up when Karen moved on. Uh, So I had two two different people helping me. Okay, so tell me a little more about. I mean, how far back can, I don't, this doesn't, it's not pejorative. I'm just, how far back can you remember? Remember when I was diagnosed? Yeah, because I'm 50 and I don't know anything about the beginning of my life. I think my life started when I became diabetic. That's one of the first things I remember. Really? Uh, well, mm-hmm. And how much of that can you put together for me here? Like, what, what And that's a pretty good age, right? I was nine and I know other people can remember before that age, mm-hmm. but 
I don't know if it was because it was such a big shift, um, because it was so heartbreaking, because of how my family dealt with it. That feels like my when my life really started. I don't remember a lot going on before then. Okay. It's a weird dynamic. I'm not quite sure what that's about. Well, so 50 years ago, management, what did it mean? Like you're a nine-year-old and suddenly this has been thrust on you. What What is it that's been thrust on you? The thing that really stood out for me is that you can never have sugar or candy again. That's what they told you. Just no sugar, no candy. What did you eat growing up? And you'll go blind if you do. I mean, it was really very scary. And I asked asked my sister, I said, is this right? Is this what I heard? Or am I just, you know, making it up? And she said, no, they pretty much told us no sweets. Um, And I, I was heartbroken because... My father used to bring me candy all the time. He'd come home and he'd bring me candy, 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 candy. And so to hear that I was never going to get to eat candy again, like, uh, it, it was not cool. I was, in the holidays, I think were kind of ruined for me because the holidays have so much food and candy associated with them. And I remember my first Easter basket, this is going to be a woe is me story, um, I thought for sure my mom would put a chocolate bunny or something in there. No, she put Trident sugarless gum. Uh, that's not history. <laughs> no. I was like, really? I remember being really disappointed. I tried not to show it because she was doing what she was supposed to be doing. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so it wasn't hyperbole either, right? They were that that might have been true on some level at that point. Like you they needed to cut carbs out of your life or you were going to suffer some long-term effects because that's just, was that just the honesty of the treatment at that time? I think it was um, because I don't think they really knew how to manage it. I mean, remember this was on one shot a day in the morning with very old beef pork insulin. It was semi-lente and lente were the names of the insulin. Um, It wasn't multiple daily injections, certainly no pumps. Didn't know what your blood sugar was other than testing your urine. And we know that that's not very helpful or effective. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think at the time that that's just how management was. You just didn't think to take more insulin for eating more carbohydrates. In fact, it was very hard for me to get my head around adjusting my insulin to a sliding scale. When I got older, that was a really new concept for me. I was used to taking this one 38 of um well, it was 38 day and eight units of semi-lente for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And that's all I took. You just get up in the morning and shoot that and then try to eat a certain amount of carbs at certain times a day? Or was it not Well, for that? a while we tried that, but that didn't last very long. Once I got a little older, I just ate anything. But um, yeah, we tried that and it was the exchange diet, which I'm sure you've heard of. Mm-hmm. So it was different than carbs. It was counting exchanges, one bread, one fruit, one vegetable, um, one milk. So it was, I think of it more like almost like counting calories instead of carbs, but I guess it was carbs, but that's not what we called it then. Yeah. Cause that doesn't take into account any of the glycemic load of the foods that you're having. No, not at all. Which I think is, is part of why they really made the hard and fast rule. No sweets, no candy. No. I mean, they had some allowances for your birthday. You could have angel food cake. <laughs> you're a great sponge cake for old ladies for my birthday great exactly and i hate angel food cake to this day i just ugh. i bet yeah, you do 
I remember my father wouldn't eat chicken. And one day I just asked why, because it was odd. We'd have chicken for a meal and my mom would make my dad a piece of liver every time. Um, and it turned out that his dad had a job that on Fridays, if you had a good week of work, they'd send you home with a live chicken. And that was part of the, like a bonus for working there. So my dad got chicken constantly as a kid and then couldn't stomach as an adult. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. So are you saying that, I want to make sure I definitely understand that all the way back in the beginning, you weren't even using regular and MPH. You were using something even more. Ancient. Ancient. I was looking for the word. Thank you. Then that. Yeah. No, it was called semi-lente and lente. And it was beef pork. I'm sure it wasn't very pure. Um, in fact, I used to get a fair number of skin reactions from it. Cause I just think it wasn't very pure insulin. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was a long time ago. Cause it was 1971. That was the year I was born, Cindy. Yeah, I know. Yeah, You're yeah. making me feel old. Oh, stuff. listen, I'm just making me feel old. How are you? I mean, what do you, what do you, you can't just do the woe is <laughs> me here. I ain't that far behind you. Uh, so, but that's crazy. Like, and like to listen to now in 2021. And so how long did you do those those first insulins again? Oh, I'd say a long time, well into my teens. I don't know when I went on to um, regular and MPH. Might not even have been until college. I didn't have the best of care. Well, part of it is I didn't have the best of care, but I also didn't take very good care of myself. So I may have not gone on to MPH regular, maybe in high school. But then they wanted me to take two shots a day. And I was like, oh, no, this, this, no, I don't want to do this. And eventually I did. And that was quite a while before. Maybe I was in college. They wanted me to do even more shots than that. Because really, even though it was terrible control, one shot a day was pretty simple. You took your insulin and that was it. Right. And so you weren't really thinking about outcomes. You were thinking about livability. Yeah, only when at that time, I just figured I would die in all honesty and I would go blind. And I mean, I just sort of took that like, okay, I guess that's going to be how it is. I mean, I never thought I'd make it to 50 years. I thought I'd be long gone or I'd be sick. or um, So, yeah, I just sort of like, well, yeah, I guess I'll go blind. I guess I'll, I mean, as I got a little older, I got a better grip on that. It's like, no, 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 you don't have to, you can make better decisions. But when I was younger and I didn't have much control over what was going on around me, I just sort of, well, okay. When you said a minute ago that you didn't do a very good job, what does that mean to you? Well, compared to what I do now, um, I eat pretty well. And obviously we test our blood sugar and I'm on a pump and I have a CGM but then you didn't know what your blood sugar was. And when I became a teenager, I just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate all the bad things. Nothing that was, wasn't like vegetables and broccoli. It was like pizza and um, sugared sodas. And I almost said pop. <laughs> I haven't said pop for a long time. <laughs> um, in Colorado, you say pop instead of soda. But um, so I didn't take very good care of myself in terms of my diet. I always took my insulin. I never was someone who didn't take my insulin, but I didn't abide by my diet very well when I became a teenager. Hmm. And so is it fair to say that you were probably only abiding that diet in the beginning because you were young enough to be controlled by the fear? Yeah, I think so. Plus, 
you know, when you're nine, other people are generally feeding you. Um, and that lasted for a little while. My family, it's interesting. My family, not to, I don't know I'm getting trouble with my family, but they didn't deal with me becoming diabetic very well. Um, and they tried initially and thinking this for my sister, who's 10 years older than me. She, she was only 19 at the time, but she really did make a good concerted effort to watch my diet, to teach me how to take my insulin. Um, she was really great. And thank God I, I had her, but my mom, initially she was pretty engaged, but then she sort of checked out. And actually my father never learned anything about my diabetes. He'd always just say, Oh, he was too stupid to understand it. He just didn't want to be involved. Right. How many, how many kids did your parents have? Three and I'm the baby. Wow. Cindy, I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but I need to take a break for one second and I apologize, but I will be back in two minutes. Okay. Okay. I'm so sorry. I'll explain why as soon as I get back. Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givokeglucagon.com com slash risk. When you arrive at contournext.com forward slash juice box, you will see many things because this is the most excellentest website ever. I'm not even kidding. I love this site. You know, when you're on a website and you think who designed this, a person who's never used the internet before, this site always gives me the exact opposite feeling. Everything's easy to find. It's the information I want. It's laid out well. Love, love, love it. So why would you go there? Well, the Contour Next one is the most accurate blood glucose meter I've ever used. It's incredibly easy to hold. It's it's, it's incredibly easier to use than it is to say incredibly easy, apparently. (laughs) Sorry about that. It's incredibly easy to use. Fits in your hand well, has second chance test strips. So if you miss the blood the first time and only get like a little bit, you can go back and get the rest without ruining the accuracy of the test. And I'm not trying to tell you that it needs a lot of blood because it doesn't. It's a pretty tiny blood drop that it requires. I love this meter. I'm not making that up. It's it's legit the best meter I've ever used. Super, super accurate. You deserve accuracy. I know some of you are thinking like, well, I have a CGM. Like, why does it matter what meter I use? It does. It just really does. And you're paying for it anyway, and you're carrying it around anyway, and you're getting the test strips. Get a good one. You deserve that much. That's simple. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. This meter may be cheaper in cash than the meter you're using now is through your insurance. Crazy, right? Or what else do they have here? Let me look. Coverage and savings I clicked on. Free Contour Next one meter. Find out if you're eligible. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here. You gotta just, you gotta look. It's a legit, legit website. Head over, please. Get the meter. Ask your doctor for it. I mean, use my link, but if you're in the doctor's office, be like, how come you got me walking around with this crap meter when I could have the Contour Next One? What are you doing to me here? I mean, nice that up when you say it. You know, for polite conversation. 
Once again, you can find out more at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Get yourself the meter my daughter carries. There are links in the show notes of the podcast app that you're listening in right now and links at juiceboxpodcast.com. If you can't remember their URL, the URL, the God, I don't remember what URL stands for. It's got to be link. The L's got to be link, right? Hold on. I'm sorry. I know. We'll get back to Cindy. One second. All right. Now I'm embarrassed. URL meaning. I was wrong. Uniform resource locators. Man, some legit smart people made the internet. And they don't think like anybody else. Uh, That's it. I'm back. Let me just make sure I've got my recording going again. So, um, are you there? I'm here. I apologize. There. So they're keeping in mind that I'm doing this. My wife is working downstairs. She's on a call with France, and uh, I have two young people here cleaning up the house, like kind of outside a little bit. And I said to them, "Hey, between eleven and twelve, no, no loud stuff." And they're like, okay, no problem. And then another person showed up to help them and didn't get that message. <laughs> so, so there's this noise that then my older dog is, re- is responding to. So my wife just texted me and she's like, please do something. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, all right. So I, I see, uh, I think I got something accomplished here. I asked them to to move to a different place for a little while. So hopefully the dog will calm down in a second. Anyway, um, I want to jump right back into it because I, I'm kind of fascinated by this, that you have this good recollection of the time. Um, I want to go back to you saying you just thought you were probably going to die. And I realize that, that that's such an odd thought now because management looks so different, insulin so different, technology so much different. But does, is that a freeing experience or is it a limiting experience to be told that your life's probably going to end short and you will be blind when it's over? I think for me, it was limiting. I mean, mm-hmm. I would imagine that. I just, I, I, I've also heard people just say like, oh, I just thought, well, this is my lot. And then they ran forward. Yeah, and I think for me it was limiting, but I made certain assumptions that now are being challenged. I assumed that I would be the one who got sick and my sister would be taking care of me, and that hasn't been the case at all. Mm-hmm. And I really worry about losing her first, and that just breaks my heart. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I, but I didn't realize I had that assumption when I was a kid that I would be the one who would get sick and I would die before my sister. And so I kind of had that. That was just the cosmic way. That was the way it was supposed to be. I'm not sure it's going to work out that way now because yeah. here I am. Well, you know, you take this this number, this 50 years number. And if you go back another 50 years beyond 1971, you're coming right in as, at the advent of insulin. So being born another 60 years pr- prior or being diagnosed 60 years prior to when you were, you would have just died. Like they didn't even have insulin. It just would have been like, Hey, we're sorry. Your kid's pancreas doesn't work anymore. They're going to die. Oh yeah. I mean, they would have starved me to death and then I would have died. So, and um, so, so this is such an incredible improvement over that. And yet your experience is still not what we would expect is expect the right word. 
not what we would hope for for a human being's life experience, except you somehow made it to a point where things changed and you, you're seeing an incredible, like, I really feel like you're you're an interesting conversation because you have real world knowledge of both sides of this, it feels like to me. Um, was regular and MPH not much of a difference? When did you get the faster acting insulin? You know, I couldn't tell you for sure. Yeah. Um, I think it was maybe a little purer than the semi-linthe and linthe. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what the peaking time or anything like that of semi-linthe and linthe was. The thing I didn't like about regular and NPH was the absolute must-to-eat lunch. You absolutely had to eat lunch. Okay. And even when I was in fifth, sixth grade, um, I had to eat with the second graders because they ate earlier. Oh. And that was terrible. I mean... In your sixth grade, you don't want to be eating with the second graders. So um, I never liked regular for that or even semi-linte because you had to time your meals so closely to the insulin. And that was problematic when I was in school and when I was working. That was always really a drag. What kind of – it's interesting, right? Back then, nobody cared about kids. I know like younger people don't understand. But nobody would think like, oh, we're going to make Cindy go to lunch with kids that are five and six years younger than her. She might not like that. They would just think that fixes the problem. And then that oh, would yeah. Right. Most definitely. Yeah. No, there wasn't any of this touchy-feely. <laughs> <laughs> but now, so let's let's ask, what was it negatively impactful on you to sit? Because I assume everybody in that room thought of you as the sick kid who had to be there. Probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was... I was more um, embarrassed because you know how the kids start to get that age. Yeah. And it was just, just wasn't a lot of fun and anybody to talk to. And then, and then what, and then when my class would go to lunch because I'd already eaten, they'd have me like, um, you know, work on the bulletin board or something like that. And interestingly, this is when I think my relationship with food started to really go South. I used to, because the teacher, one of our teachers used to give out candy to kids for rewards. Well, they couldn't obviously give that to me. Um, but I used to steal her candy when I was working on her bulletin boards when everybody else was at lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step in this adverse relationship with food. I think so. Yeah. I mean, actually, as much candy as I was fed before I became diabetic, I'm not sure that was a great setup to begin with. <laughs> Because um, it really felt like something got taken from you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I even remember being in the hospital when I was diagnosed and stealing lemon heads from the little girl's nightstand next to me in the room I was in. <laughs> Pretty desperate kid, right? So, yeah, I even remember the lemon heads to this day. No kidding. So, um, but that that's a connection. So, again, to kind of look backwards you know, par- parents and their involvement with their children has grown over the decades. So this candy your father would bring home was probably a major connection point for the two of you, I would imagine. I think so. I think that's yeah. a good insight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably one of the only ways he knew how to show you he cared about you. I, I, I'm guessing because a guy in his seventies with kids is born in the forties or fifties. I'm assuming oh, he was born in 1913. Oh my goodness! Excuse me. Yeah, so I'm not assuming he's um had some very warm upbringing coming through that time either. No, I don't yeah. think so. I think it was pretty rough. Do you have kids? No, I do not. I don't even have cats anymore. Like I can't. I'm a reformed cat lady. Um, 
So I don't have anything, no cats. I didn't have a significant other, and that's cool. Cindy, you might have just named this episode and not meant to. So you got to say something more interesting than reformed cat lady before this hour is over. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think about that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, or you're going to be pissed when yours goes up. You're going to be like, oh, no. What am I thinking? Oh, Delana, what were you thinking? So, okay. um, Wow. Now, how was your health through that time? Like, or how was it measured, I guess? Um, that's a good question. I mean, we did the urine testing and, uh, it was actually my sister who found a doctor who was not just our general GP who had some specialty in diabetes, but he wasn't an endocrinologist by any means. And his care was actually pretty um, mean, Hmm. you know, you're going to get your legs cut off. Um, it wasn't real effective and it didn't make me want to try a whole lot harder. I must admit. Um, and I'm not, I guess it was just by urine testing. And if you weren't losing weight, um, I don't really remember them paying a lot of attention and all, I mean, you took your insulin and you were on your way. Not being dead was the measure of success. Yeah. I don't remember a thing. And other than testing your urine, um, I don't remember them putting a lot of focus on anything else. Mm. It's different than it is now. Yeah. When do you remember it shifting to... A1Cs and that kind of stuff. When I was in college, I don't think I had my first A1C drawn until I was in college. Do you have any idea what it was? 11%. 11%. Yeah. And I think that had it been drawn when I was a teenager, it could have very well been even higher. Yeah. Um, so like I say, I'm pretty lucky that I'm here. And that wasn't shocking. It was just matter of fact, right? You're just like, hey, your A1C is 11. Did they say then do something about it or... Um, they were pretty dismayed, but I didn't really have anything to compare it to. Yeah, I can't imagine. Eleven percent is an average blood sugar of two hundred and sixty-nine. I know, and imagine how crappy I felt. Yeah, well, that was my next question: is at some point, do you have hindsight for how it affected your mood and your overall life? Yeah, I think this is going to be. It's going to sound like I'm really exaggerating, but I think I probably felt really physically bad like most of the time and sometimes I wonder how it affected my outlook on life because I'm not necessarily the sunniest and cheeriest person Mm -hmm. but I wonder if you feel bad all the time if that affects how you experience the world yeah and just the cloudiness that comes with and the brain function that is limited by the blood sugar being higher all the time yeah and I didn't even really realize that 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 had such an effect until the last few years until, I mean, I've been controlling my blood sugars pretty well for quite a while, um, but really sort of paid more attention since I've been looping these last two years. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'd never really put it together so much how my moods were really dramatically affected by my blood sugar. Does it make you sad? Yeah, it does. I, I look back and I think, Oh, you know, that wasn't so good. That was kind of rough. And um, not a great way to, I mean, I love seeing these parents now, like on the, um, on the Facebook group, just being so proactive for their kids and so concerned. Conversely, sometimes I feel like they're a little tortured by the numbers, but still, I just am so pleased to see parents really stepping in and trying to do their best for their kids. That just yeah. makes me feel like that's going to bode so well for the kids. Well, just like with you and Arden too. It's like, Oh, 
that just warms my heart so much to see parents trying so hard to manage such a difficult and frustrating disease. The way I kind of see it, I think, is is shifting the burden from the physical of the child, like in your example, to more of the stress and mental side. And at least it falls on the parents then and not the kids. I have to say, too, your story hits me right in. I mean, I don't know how long you've been listening, but I I'm a I, I have a real hard time with with the idea of wasted time. You, you know, like I, I, I really upsets me to look back and see that days, weeks, months, years were spent in a way that they didn't need to be. Um, and that there's no way to go back and fix them or get the, you know, get that time back again. And your, your story just makes me feel like that. It's just that, that idea of like, I wonder who Cindy would have been without this kind of feeling. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and if you don't feel that way, I'm not trying to bum you out. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, in fact, it, 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 my diabetes is me. It does not feel separate from me. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it took me a long time when I would go to see a new doctor and they'd say, what medications you're on? I tell them what medications I was on and they say, aren't you on insulin too? Oh yeah, that's right. So for me, it's a big part of my identity. So I don't even know that I can go back and say, well, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Um, and the thing is, Scott, is if you didn't know how to do differently at the time, you just didn't know. It was the best that they had. Yeah, no, it's, it's all hindsight that allows you to feel that way. It's, you know, um, I'm not saying that I'm curled up in a ball, uh, <laughs> bemoaning every, every bad decision I've ever made. It's just, it's a sad idea that, that to be born then instead of 30 years later leads you to say, I'm not a person with the sunniest disposition. And I wonder how much that has to do with that. Um, because you, you are, a, you seem like a well thought out, reasonable person. Otherwise you're not, um, you don't seem like you're depressed. You're- well, you haven't heard the whole story. All right, um, no, I've worked for many, 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 many years getting my head together. I really have. Okay. So I feel like I'm pretty self-aware. I'm pretty self-observant. Um, I've come a long ways. What did that path that you traveled look like? It's pretty rough. Um, graduated from high school, which was no big deal because that was expected. And then I went to school in Boulder and took terrible care of myself. And um, I don't even know if I should mention this, but Boulder University of Colorado was a big, big, big school. And I was really overwhelmed by it. I just wasn't ready for a state school, not at all. So I got proselyt- I was proselytized and joined this church that was a near cult. I mean, it was just it's crazy in retrospect. And I was in it for a couple of years and I just decided, you know, I don't like what these people are doing. This is, this is not cool. And so I left. And um, they all ostracized me. So all these kids who I thought were my friends wouldn't have anything to do with me. And so here I was stuck in this big state school with all these kids who were acting like I was just, you know, something terrible that shouldn't be dealt with. And I wonder if that's part of what sent me into my first depression. So I was actually hospitalized when I was in college, when I was a senior. So I had to go to the five-year plan. Um, But I graduated and got myself together for a couple of years, but then I moved to Washington, D.C. from Colorado. And, and the East Coast is very different. I think you grew up in Philly, so you, I did, you yeah. may not be able to relate to this, but the East Coast is very different than the West. It's just different. It's more fast moving. The people aren't as friendly. 
Um, so there was a bunch of other circumstances that happened at that same time. And just the fact that I had really severe retinopathy, I discovered about a year after I moved here. Um, so I actually got really depressed again and was hospitalized again. So um, that was a really bad time in my life. I had really severe retinopathy and I was hospitalized for a long time. And unfortunately I made a couple of attempts, which I'm not crazy about, but I'll tell you this, that since then I'm so lucky that I was able to go to the hospital that I was able to go to. Um, no insurance company would pay for that now because it really, I got better and I've not been hospitalized since then. And I've just been able to incrementally make my life better, better, and better with each passing decade. Mm -hmm. So I think had I not gone to that hospital when I was 30, that's actually where I had my 30th birthday. Um, I would never have gotten better and might not even be here. Wow. So Cindy, you just um, got rid of your, um, reform cat lady title. You did a good job there. That was, was that what you were, <laughs> that what you were thinking? You're like, wait a minute, I can get out of this. Uh, <laughs> um, no, Wow. Okay. Uh, let me make sure I understand and pick through a little bit. So as a senior in college, did you have what I guess they would have referred to back then as a breakdown of some kind? Yeah. I got okay. really, really, really super depressed. And um, it, it's hard to quite figure out now. I did make a pretty serious attempt. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really scary. And in retrospect, now it makes me really sad looking back at that young woman. I'm like, what a rough way to get started on your adult life. You yeah. know, like that's, that's not great, but I, I got through it and uh, I was hospitalized a couple of times, maybe two or three times. I think the longest at the time was a month, but then I got out and uh, moved back to Denver and pretty much got my act together and got my first job and did really well until I moved out here. And then things kind of went all the heck then. What do you have any idea what precipitated the first hospitalization? I think it was really leaving the church and having everybody just just kind of shun you. Yeah. Plus okay. my family was a bit of a wreck too. So I don't think that helped. It was really hard for my mom from for her to lose me, to have me go to college and be independent. And so I think there's a combination of things. Wow. And then you you did finish up school. You traveled east, and then, and I'm sorry, but when you say attempts, you mean suicide, right? Unfortunately, yeah. Okay, and then, and so you had a couple of more goes with it there, and then were hospitalized a couple more times. I would imagine around the attempts. Yeah, okay. yeah. I was I was pretty sick, and so I was having I couldn't work. I was having a really hard time working, but I was also going blind at the time. Not blind, but it looked like I was going to go blind because yeah. I had really significant um, retinopathy in both eyes. And so I was having a lot of laser treatments and um, somebody who had promised to move, you've heard these stories before, somebody who had promised to move here with me didn't. Um, and so that yourself. sort of broke my heart. And then Washington was a, was different than Denver and it was really hard for me to sort of scale up to. I mean, now I could do it because I know what cities are like, but then I didn't know. I mean, I grew up in suburbia, almost a rural area. So it was very different moving here. Wow. Um, it was hard and then almost going blind didn't help either. So it was like a confluence of things. Yeah, no, just a lot of stuff that all felt like it had no exit. I feel like. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was scary thinking about going blind. I mean, I felt like I dealt with it pretty well. Like I went to the Columbia lighthouse for the blind and, um, saw their apartment that they had you stay in and the 
things that they could teach you. And um, so I felt like I dealt with it pretty well, but that didn't mean it wasn't scary. Well, so you were really, oh gosh. Okay. So you were headed towards blindness and preparing for it. And yeah. Oh yeah. I thought for sure. I mean, my, my retina, my retina guy who I love, oh, thank God for this guy. Um, he saved my vision. He didn't say anything at the time, but many years later he said, yeah, your retinopathy was pretty bad. And for a doctor to admit that even many years later, it usually means it was pretty bad, you yeah. know, usually they're not that forthcoming. So yeah, it was really bad. I had like 18 laser treatments because this was in the era of lasers and four vitrectomies, I guess. Oh my gosh. Is it painful to have worked on your eyes like that? Um, yeah. Well, the creepy thing is if, if you have an ocular block, it's not so bad, but ocular blocks, in fact, you can't feel anything if you have an ocular block, but the ocular box really creepy because they have to inject the anesthesia in your face so that the needle gets back to your ocular nerve mm. and you can't close your eye. So they're coming at you with this big needle. I mean, I'm sure people who are getting shots of their eyes now from, um, for retinopathy, I'm sure they have similar stories. I, I don't know what the shots are like now. Um, and the vitrectomies, it was just a pain because I couldn't drive for a long time. For a while, I couldn't see people's faces. And that was really dismaying. You take for granted how much you information you gather and how much connection you have to seeing people's faces. Yeah. I have to tell you, the shot story is still, I can't quite get the tightness and the chill out of the top of my spine, but I'm working on it because I think I drew myself a picture while you were talking. Um, it creeps people out, that story does. And yeah. it was pretty creepy. Don't close your eye. <laughs> what do you mean a giggle in my eye? That's a really big needle. And it's right under your eye to get back to your ocular nerve. Uh, so. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Well, we're going to skip over that now, Cindy. So yeah, I will let's pass skip out. over <laughs> that. It was pretty creepy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, what? So I'm assuming, you know, the control is what sent you towards the retinopathy. So is is that the moment where you figure out how to ma manage in a different way or? Not I yet. think it did bring me up short. I really do. Um, and, and at the time, 20 years out from diagnosis was usually typical for getting retinopathy or being diagnosed with retinopathy. Okay. Um, and once again, I kind of thought, oh, once again, I met the milestone 20 years. Here I am. But that's when I started to think, no, maybe this could be different. You know, maybe mm -hmm. you don't have to hit the next milestone, which is the kidney failure. Maybe you can... Problem is I didn't have the best relationship with food. I used food a lot to comfort myself. So it was difficult to sort of get around that. And it took me quite a few years to stop using food to comfort myself. And then the other thing is I have a wicked sweet tooth, just a wicked sweet tooth. Um, so that's always been problematic being diabetic too. How did you, how did you overcome the food as comfort? I think I, um, some of it's just gaining mental health. Okay. I think introspection and connection and support. And, but I think a lot of it is just mental health. Uh oh, I'm using my hands again. And my <laughs> bracelet's bumping against my watch. Well, so let me stop doing that. Thank you. You see, so you just, you sort of found more clarity in your life overall and then didn't have to go to the food in the same way. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have to collect myself for a second. Like I remember your email, but I wasn't, 100% ready this morning. So um, there's a lot going on here. And so I didn't have, I usually take a couple of minutes to like gather what I'm 
thinking about before I sit down, but you and I just sat right down and there were a couple of technical problems. And then like 30 minutes later, you have a needle in your eye and it's, uh, I want to make sure I, I do, uh, do justice to your story here. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. So, so the, the shifting your relationship with food, does that coincide with the better understanding of insulin or was that in itself just a big improvement for you? It's a big improvement, I think, and just gaining more, um, his mental health so that I wasn't turning to food for comfort. I was turning to other things. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm not, you talk a lot about knowing about how insulin works. I'm still not sure I know how insulin works. I mean, I know how it works. I, I understand how it works and right. I understand peaking and all that good stuff. But sometimes I still feel a little flummoxed by it. Like, what is this about? Um, which this is jumping far ahead, but I'm actually experimenting with eating low carb because I just can't get this carbohydrates thing down. I pre-bolus, I do all kinds of things. Uh, no, my blood sugar gets high and then it gets low and then I get frustrated and then I, you know, start griping about it. And so I'm really trying to low carb things. My blood sugars are just so much better and they're not, it just, yeah. it's just easier. I would do and whatever yeah. is best, especially when you have advanced issues. I mean, that just sort of makes sense to me. And, and and you're willing to do it and it's not causing you any kind of uh, emotional pr trouble to, to eat it that way. So I would do it, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it because I really, I think I need a little bit of help though because I keep having lows. So I got to kind of figure that out, but I'm pretty on top of everything. What What is, I, we need a little good news here. What is your A1C right now? Oh, I'm so proud of my A1C. Um, this last one was 6.3%. Wow. And the one before that was 6%. So I'm really excited about those because that's the first time I've been able to break seven. Well, no, I've broken 7% a couple of times, but only like 6.8. So the 6.0, I was so excited. I posted on Facebook. This is what my hemoglobin A1C is. La, 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 la. Um, I was really excited. So and actually looping and being exposed to your group um, and a lot of the things that I've learned just in the two years that I've been looping have also really helped me gain better control. What pump are you using with the loop? I'm using an old Medtronic pump. Okay, cool. Oh, that's amazing. Good for you. Um, oh, that's just, that is so exciting. So you're telling me that this, this improvement's only a couple of years old for you? This market improvement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I've always really struggled to break that 7%. And there's also something that I've picked up from you. And I wonder if it wasn't part of my thinking is that, well, that's just the way diabetes is. Because mm -hmm. hmm. if you think about it, that's kind of how I grew up, right? Yeah. No, every step of the way, it was don't eat sugar or you'll lose your eyes. That's what happens. And, and, and other messages like that. And then by the time you're 30, your sight is impacted. I don't see how you wouldn't believe that. You yeah. Know, so it's it, been interesting to yeah. sort of um, to recognize that and be like, wow, Scott's got a point there. Hmm. Thank you. This makes me feel nice. Thank you. Uh, I, um, I have to say that that has always just from the beginning rubbed me oddly. From the very start of my daughter having diabetes and a doctor intimating it, and then being, you know, starting a blog and having more contact with people who had type one and seeing other people who were writing about it. I just, I, I just really much rub up against that idea of like, well, this is it. 
like this is it. There's nothing you can do about it. And I, I hate it when people say that's just diabetes. Um, and even when they're just being flippant about it, which I understand completely when you're just joking a little bit, it still makes me uneasy because I think someone's going to see that and that's going to be their thing that they use to give up and say, see, somebody else agrees with me. This is the best I can do. It's not my fault. It's not because I don't understand something. It's because the magic diabetes fairy has controlled my life. And so this, I'm just on a wild ride to the end now. And, and I don't think that needs to be. And I mean, your example proves that out over and over again. Um, do you have any other autoimmune issues? I have a little bit of hypothyroidism, but I'm really lucky. I have some other complications, but they haven't been debilitating anyway. I have bilateral frozen shoulders and um, I'm getting the tendinopathy type things like the trigger fingers and the Dupuytren's contracture, I think it's called. Um, so I'm getting more of the sort of tendinopathy stuff, but it's not so terrible that I can't. And the frozen shoulders are pretty bad, but they're not like going blind or um, being in kidney failure, or having your feet amputated or anything like that. I mean, they were a pain, but um, no pun intended. Oh. But um, I, you know, I've got through those. Can you go through them real quickly with me? Frozen shoulder. How does that present? Um, your shoulder freezes. Actually, it was really incredibly painful. Usually it's your non-dominant side. Um, really, really painful. You lose range of motion. Now they, when you look online, it'll say, Oh, usually resolves in six months or 12 months or 18 months. For me, it started in 2006 and I was just able to swim again with both arms um, across the pool last summer. Were so, you, were you swimming in a circle up until then? Exactly, with one arm. Yeah. Um, but then it happened to my other arm too. And that I was really unhappy about because yeah. it was so painful. My left shoulder wasn't. It happened to my other shoulder, not my arm, my shoulder. And um, I just knew my shoulder was never going to be the same. And that really frustrated me. That I was really cranky about. Mm -hmm. It didn't get as bad as my left shoulder. So that's encouraging. But it's still not back to what it was before it froze. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is there treatment for it or? Um, physical therapy, which I found to be, well, actually, I foolishly, and I wish I'd done more research, had it manipulated under anesthesia, okay. where they just manipulate your arm and tear up all the scar tissue. Really regret doing that because um, it's really painful. And they couldn't give me cortisone. And they sent me to physical therapy the next day. I thought I was going to die. Scott. It was oh. terrible. Oh, you're telling me. This. So they shot you up so you couldn't feel it and then manipulated your arm in a way that broke up all that. And then there was no medication afterwards. Exactly. Ooh. And then wanted you to keep moving it. Exactly. How long was that process? Uh, quite a while. Um, I think I, was, I did physical therapy for a while. And that was incredibly painful. I think with time, it would have gotten better on its own. I don't think that going through all that made it better any faster. And I think with time, it would have resolved. I see. And what were the other two things you mentioned? There was something about your hands, I feel like. Oh, trigger finger, you yeah. know, where your finger gets locked. Okay. It's a tendon thing and pretty typical with type 1, I think, well, with diabetes in general. And then it's new for me, this Dupuytren's contracture. I think that's what it's called. Um, or you get these lumps in your hands and then it doesn't happen to everybody. It doesn't progress the same for everybody, but you get 
cords that extend from these lumps in your hand and they draw your fingers in towards the palm of your hand. Oh, no kidding. A gradual yeah. thickening and tightening of tissue under the skin and the hand condition most often affects the fourth ring and fifth little finger over time can cause one or more fingers to stay bent towards the palm. This can complicate everyday activities. So it doesn't, like, you can't make it go back. I can't. Well, my hands are not so bad now. I mean, I have the bumps in my hands, the lumps, but my fingers are fine. And and did they, did these, did that get better as your blood sugar improved? This is a recent thing. Oh, it's recent. It okay. just started, I'd say within the last year, six months. Okay. So seems it's now that is kind of frustrating that I have an A1C of 6% yet I'm still getting these what are considered complications. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sucks that it sucks that, um, I don't know if you, you know, Jenny from the, like the pro tip episodes and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I, she always makes that point that she wants people to understand that you can't bank good health and that, and I, and I just, it sucks because you put all that work in and you came all this way and you figured out so much. It just sucks that there's not a, there's not a, not a trophy at the end full of like, I don't know, n- you know, no complications or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it is unfortunate. Yeah. You don't, you don't win a, you don't win a prize like that. You, you do win. I mean, feeling better. Do you see yourself as a different person now? Um, like forget the depression and the emotions and all that stuff, but just, Clarity wise, do you feel different? Yes, yes. And and people have told me I'm different too. Well, Hugh has told me I'm different. He's like, I don't this low carb thing must be great because you're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what am I like when I'm not nice? You've been so sweet lately. I'm like, okay, guess I'm really witchy when I'm not like this. I gotta yeah, you gotta throw a special shout out to all the significant others in the world who uh who are with somebody who's impacted like that because it's difficult to love a person who is, um, I don't know what the word is, but not always the way you expect them to be. Um, and yeah, and I'm ha- sure it's tough. I mean, it's yeah. hard for me to relate to because I'm the one having the low blood sugar, right? Yeah, so, you don't know, right? Yeah. I'm I, the one who used to be in the patients, and I know it can be really hard on him sometimes, particularly when it's like what is this about? And if I don't recognize it's low, it can get pretty, pretty pleasant. Yeah. Pretty quickly. And then I always feel so bad, but then part of me doesn't feel bad. Cause I'm like, well, I didn't, it wasn't me. <laughs> Cindy, are you, My are you starving? A- and that doesn't quite fly, but I mean, it's, it's true that that, I don't know. Well, it's, I'm not tr- sure. it's true for you and not that important to him. Exactly. Yes. Right. right. It's everybody's got their truth in this and not one is more, um, more deserving of attention than the other. It's just, it's what it is. It's, it's what it means to be with somebody who, you know, might get a low blood sugar and you're uh, the mean drunk equivalent of getting a low. Are you like personally mean when you're (laughs) mean? I can be. Yeah. I can really, I just lose all reason. You know, I just, I just things that, Oh, things that shouldn't set you off or things that are not a big deal. Like he was so sweet the other day, he made breakfast and that's kind of a rare occurrence. Mm-hmm. And so he was really proud of it, but foolish me. I took my insulin much too far ahead thinking I'd pre bolus thinking he'll be done and he wasn't done. And so my blood sugar got really low and I blamed it on him. I said, you took too long making breakfast. Well, 
that ain't going to get your breakfast again anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so that wasn't that was not a good day necessarily. You're lucky you didn't have to catch a box of grape nuts coming at your head in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, later I felt really bad. I no, thought like, oh, it wasn't his fault. You should have, you know, had a, you should have asked him when is this going to be ready? When's your best guess? But. I, I took my insulin thinking that I was making breakfast yep. and that it would take me this long to finish breakfast, not how long it would take him to finish breakfast I or to making breakfast. Yeah, I, I know this isn't diabetes, but I have mentioned it on the show a number of times. I I uh, f- found out that my iron's been low for a, a fairly significant swath of my adult life and that I, I have it up now where it belongs. And the same exact things you're talking about, just having reactions to things that aren't commiserate to what's happening. Um, like it could be like getting upset about just nothing and it feels completely legitimate while you're doing it. It does not feel like it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm now upset about something that I shouldn't be. You're like, this thing feels incredibly important in that moment. And every one of your reactions feels warranted. And the people around you don't know your iron's low. At least at least they can look at you and think like, I bet her blood sugar is low. You know, I, for until it was um, identified, no one knew it. And then even after it's identified, the thing that I noticed that was kind of crushing from my side, but I think relates to what you just said and is understandable is that it didn't immediately wipe the slate clean with the people around me who had to experience it. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like you're given all of a sudden, Oh, okay. We understand. Right. It's hard to give away. You can't just give away feelings that you've had in the past because you now understand why they happen. You can't just forget them. No, and, that's a good point. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, anyway, that's, it's sad to me that that happened to me or that it happens to other people because I do have that feeling of like, I wonder how I would have been in these scenarios. Like, I wonder how much of, of what my children think of me would have been different if my iron level was 30 points higher which is so ridiculous, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because I am definitely different now. And just by different, I mean, like, I don't find myself being irritated by things or upset or gruff uh, nearly as much. Like I still, you know, like sometimes something just makes you upset, but the threshold for it is so much higher now. Have other people noticed it too? Or have you just mainly noticed it? In my family, everyone here knows. Good. Yeah. Good. So everyone. That's encouraging. I mean, it's nice to have that positive, you know, that what's, what's the word I just like, just like so much validation. Validation. You don't like the word validation? No, no, no. no. That's because you're, it's because you're gruff, Cindy. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to be talking about positive stuff. All these soft kids nowadays, you know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Well, I mean, you've been through. Cindy, I'm 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 going to curse you. You've been through a hell of a thing. <laughs> it really is something else, and you you seem really good natured about it now. And try to be pretty open about it. Um, and pretty. Um, I mean, this is a phrase that I'm not crazy about, but it is applicable many times. Is it is what it is. It's like, well, that was my history, and not a lot I can do about it now. Like you were saying earlier, there's you can't go back and change things, and um, you know, maybe it's part of what's made me, me now. Yeah. I have to say that I had no intention of this when we started talking, but this is an after dark episode. Thought it might be the other day you yeah. posted on Facebook, like I'm looking for people for more after dark episodes. I'm like, Oh, Scott, you haven't 
I almost posted, we have a date. Just wait. <laughs> it's but, coming, honey. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I held off. But. No, it really is. And I'll tell you, these, like, I find this conversation with you enlightening and it feels, it's a little difficult for me because um, I don't have the ability to uh, talk about things referentially. You know, like I, I can remember like a friend of mine's father passing away and, you know, he's crying and I'm joking about it at the same time. Like, I I don't know how to I, I'm not good at that. Like, I'm not good at just I also don't think anybody would listen, by the way, if this was an hour of you just re- recanting horror story after horror story, I don't think people would be able to get through it. And I think a, I was going to say a lot, but I think everything that you just said is incredibly important to hear for people. And I want them to be able to get through it and and to listen to it and to hear that you're still a person who has a life. You're not a you're not a case. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- I hope so. I mean, that's part of the reason I when you said, you know, if you think you'd be a good candidate for the podcast, I thought, well, you know, it's been 50 years and I want people to know that you can make it that long, even if you were diagnosed in the dark ages. And just to just to give people a sense of like, yeah, you can get through. And so that's part of the reason, because I thought, well, you know, maybe people can glean something from my experience. And if that's the case, that's great. Right. And I just imagine so. and just I'm well, first of all, I'm sure that that's the case. Um, but just imagine 50 years from now, I'm a uh, 100 years old and I'm doing this podcast and uh, and I'm interviewing somebody who was diagnosed, you know, this year. And how much different their story is going to be? They're going to they're going to they're going to have a story that sounds like I was diagnosed. Um, my parents were scared. They got me a continuous glucose monitor. A year later, I get you started using an algorithm that kept my blood sugar stable. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't notice it. I mean, it sucked having diabetes, but it, their story is going to not mirror yours in in any way. I hope so. Yeah. I really hope that's the case. Or at least okay. it, it it could be. I guess. I hope so. I really do. I think it could be. I think just the, even within the last 10 years, I mean, CGMs and pumps and I was on a pump quite a while before I was on a CGM. I'm not really sure how I ever did it. Mm. Um, Didn't have very good information to be on a pump and on. I'd rather be with, if I, if I had to give up one of the, one of the other, I'd give up my pump before I'd give up my CGM. I always tell everybody that. Well, yeah. And I would say, I was going to ask you as a person who's had diabetes this long, greatest advent ever for diabetes. What's that? CGM is the greatest advent for diabetes that you've seen. Yeah. 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 Better than the better insulins, better even than the pumps. I think the CGM is just a, I know everybody uses this phrase, but it's a game changer. I really do think it's just, it's yeah. just, it's just remarkable. It's, it's probably the best thing that's come along in my opinion. Yeah. I have to agree. I don't have nearly as much time with this as you do um, being around it, but I, I haven't seen anything that's more impactful than this. There's ways around some of the other stuff, but this thing is just, it just allows you to make decisions that are, are so much more accurate and thoughtful. Yeah. I'm also encouraged about algorithm pumping. Um, Loop has made a big difference. Um, I've been looping for two years now. And what what you, so many people mentioned, if you've mentioned is sleeping through the night. In fact, it was cute. Not too long after I was on loop, my significant other said, um, how come your alarm's not going off in the middle of the night? Because <laughs> I'm on loop. I got an algorithm. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, Arden's been using loop for a long time and I'm still very excited to try like Omnipod 5 because sort of like what we just talked about is, is that if, 
if 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 Arden can get on Omnipod Five and it works the way Loop works, it still takes out that little piece. There's no connecting. That Riley Link idea is gone, and that just makes it incrementally better again. And so I have my fingers crossed for it. I can't wait to try it uh, and see that how it sounds cool. I think there's a lot of good things coming down the pike. Yeah, really Control do. IQ from Tandem. People seem to love Medtronic's going to refresh their algorithm. I would imagine sooner than later. Um, you know, so it, it can only get better. Like, I really feel like when Arden's in her 20s, I might even be shocked by what's going on. I hope so. Yeah. I really do. I hope so. I mean, I really, I really want the kids who are being diagnosed now and the kids, the parents of the kids I see, like in the Facebook group, I really want those kids to do well. And it just warms my heart so much that people are looking out for their kids. And this sounds silly, I know, but no, it, it really does just because parents should look out for their kids, but it is a different era. And I really love it when parents, even though I feel bad for them sometimes because it, it, it is, it is a burden for sure. And I do feel like they can be a little tortured by the numbers and see, that's one thing that was easier. There were no numbers when I was a kid, um, but it wasn't healthier. So I would, I would, Take the numbers over not knowing the numbers. I enjoyed listening to you talk yourself through that just now. Honestly, <laughs> I really did because because you have like a you have there's some romantic feeling about diabetes prior to understanding the data where you're like I didn't really have to think about it, but then you're like, but look where it led. Maybe it would be better if I just had to have thought about it, which you you agree with because you said to me earlier, you know, when you heard me say it's you know. Don't listen when somebody says, oh, that's just diabetes. Uh, I feel like those two things connect somehow. So it's very cool. Did this podcast help you, Cindy? Oh, yeah. No, this has been great. It's, it's really nice to be able to tell my story um, because it's probably not the best story ever. But I do. I just want to give people some hope that I have made it 50 years. And yeah, I've had some complications, but I also didn't take very good care of myself. And had I taken better care of myself. And I also think I'm very lucky. Um, I think I may have mentioned this in my email, but a friend that I went to summer camp with died when she was 35. Um, and so I feel very, very, very fortunate to be here. And she did not take very good care of herself. Plus um, her mother had died and she had been type one. So I feel really, really fortunate to still be here. And I need to remember that on my cranky days or on my that um, I'm very lucky. I think the 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 nicest thing you've said in the last hour is that you feel lucky. I, I think that's great for people to hear um, because you maybe did just get a little lucky. Like that's a great example. Like things go a little bit different one way or the other and your friend, you know, loses her life in her 30s, but diagnosed around the same time as you, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so starting from that point, you had as much chance as not as being that way too. I, I would assume as m- many people probably were who were diagnosed back then. And it's, probably. yeah. And instead you've got, uh, you, you things as, as much as your description makes it sound like things didn't go well, they at least went into a way that you're here and you have this new clarity and an opportunity to take better care of yourself. So. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. I'm very lucky. It also helps that my mom's 95. I think I got good genetic loading too. I was going to say, you might be a little bit of a, a genetic badass and not even know it. <laughs> badass. I like that. Yeah, no, seriously. Like your body might just have like its own suit of armor or something. And that's, might. yeah, it's important for people to remember too. We all don't get the same 
the, you know, the same go. So that's another great reason to take incredible care of yourself. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And the playing field's not even right. so um, or level. What I never, never get those things right. I'm always like throw rocks at brick houses. <laughs> level playing field was the right way to go. I should have said that. I used a thousand words instead of just saying everyone's playing field's not level. Uh, but I think that's important because you don't know when you're diagnosed if you've got Cindy's constitution or somebody else's. And, you know, so taking the best care of yourself you can is going to give you the best opportunity. And I think that's really all you can do. Like, I feel like if that's what you did, then whenever things go wrong, if they go wrong, at least you can say to yourself, there was no better way for me to have done this. Oh, I agree. I think you should give yourself a fighting chance. I really do. Wow. You're really good. But this was wonderful. Did we not talk about anything that you were hoping to talk about? No, I think we covered it. Wow. You were delightful. Oh, well, thank you. I was hoping for that. I was like, I wonder if Scott's going to say I'm delightful. Oh, but you are. Uh, I'm delighted. That's how I know you were delightful. (laughs) Can I be honest? Maybe you weren't, but I'm delighted. So maybe that's what I should start telling people. (laughs) Like, do you think people who we get to the end and I don't say they're delightful, do you think they're let down? You use it a lot. Oh, do I? I don't know. I really found this delighting. Well, good. That's a compliment. Thank you. No, 100%. I um. I used to find myself at the beginning of new episodes when I set them up to put them out. I'd be like, I love this episode. It's my favorite one. And then I thought that sounds disingenuous. So I stopped saying it. But I do feel like that. Like I never put out an episode where I'm like, oh, this is crap. (laughs) You you know, like I I that. I think that comes through, Scott. I think people can tell that. Oh, I hope so. People can tell that you've put thought into it and that you've engaged people and, um, the only thing that's been hard for me is I keep wanting to ask you questions, but I had to remind myself, no, no. Well, you want to ask me a question? Ask me a question. Well, I'm just curious, like, what's going to happen when Arden goes to school? Just those kind of questions. I just think about these things. See, I don't know. That is. Well, I'm thinking about your family. It's none of my business. Oh, no, but, but I'll, I'll field a couple from you. But for, so the first one you just asked, that is the favorite question of long time type ones. Really? Yes. People who have had diabetes for a long time who experienced it. This is me inferring, but experienced it prior to glucose sensing and blood blood glucose meters that could be used more frequently with more accuracy. People who were just in that, like, take a shot in the morning, try to eat around here, sliding scale. Anyone who grew up through that, I imagine, didn't have as much connection with their parents and their care. And so this amount of connection seems... This is a lot of me inferring, but I feel like this amount of connection feels like it's not real or it's too much because it's not as it's way more than what you got. And therefore, it feels like Arden must have no grasp of diabetes and will be lost when she's like set free into the world. Does that about how it makes you feel? Yeah, I confess that I do worry about that. I have thought about it, but I wonder about both of you, just like how the dynamics gonna, dynamics are going to change. I don't know why I think about these. Well, things. when she leaves, I'm just going to have to go adopt another kid with diabetes to give me something. I think know. so. Yeah, yeah. 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 Got to have some fodder too. So, um, no, I think she'll do great. It's just interesting to hear and to think about. Just like wow, because I know she's she's getting pretty, yeah, she's, she's getting pretty close she's to going to be school, seventeen this summer. Again, she's looking at colleges and she's going to, at some point, we're going to do some interviews on the podcast with her and I'm going to try to talk her through some of the ideas that I think she's going to need to know. Like I'm going to talk to her. her. Yeah. And at the same time, it's not like I, it's not like when she goes to college, I'm going to tell her never contact me again. So that (laughs) 
we could do that. Oh, no, I'm sure that's true. No, yeah. it's just, I just, I just think it's, it'll be interesting and I won't be seeing cause I'm not in your household. I'm not living next door, but right. the dynamics will be interesting to see how they play out. I mean, I think she'll do really well. Uh, I don't have any doubt about that. Um, I'll be curious to hear where she goes to school. I can't but, wait. Um, I can't wait to talk about it. Like I already told her, I was like, I'm going to keep doing the podcast even after you move out, you know? And she's like, well, I won't even be here. I'm like, I still think we're going to talk. And if not, then we'll talk about the, disillusion of our connection around diabetes like there's there's plenty to talk about still well there's plenty and i've been thinking about that too i was like no you know even when she does move out and she's not under the same roof or when she goes to school she may be under the same roof sometimes um there will still be plenty of things to navigate with diabetes you know what i mean um so you guys you'll have plenty to talk about i'm sure and on top of that just between her and my wife and i I have a unique situation here. I've talked to more people with diabetes than maybe some doctors have, right? And so I'm fairly aware of the pitfalls that lie ahead. And I I hold no illusion that they're going to miss Arden because I'm the guy with the podcast who knows how to make your A1C stable. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like yeah. she's going to miss those things about having diabetes just because of her connection to me. So I right. want to, I want I to be able to, true. yeah, yeah. So I want to be there and as much as she wants me to be is the other thing too. Like, you know, I'm not going to infringe on her life, but I'm trying to set up a, a relationship now where she'll feel comfortable reaching out and saying, Hey dad, I, my blood sugar has been 200 for three days and I don't know what I'm doing. You, you know, like, so because but I think you've said, just what I've been able to infer from far, I think you've set your kids up like that anyway. I hope um, so. Aggressively be more independent. Yeah. So I think you've done a good job there. And at the same time, be willing to just like, I got a note from my son the other day that, you know, it felt like a 12 year old sent it to me, but I thought that was good because it felt like he bumped into something that he just didn't understand. And instead of just ignoring it, he's like, well, let me get some more context for this so I can deal with it better. Oh, that's great. That'll bode yeah. really well. I hope so. For both of them as adults. I have all so, of my fingers yeah. crossed right now. So, you know, so. Yeah, for sure. Me too. <laughs> um, what else? Go ahead. Ask me something else. Now it slipped my mind. It's mainly curious about Arden um, and how the dynamics were going to change. But I can't think of the other question I had. So I guess I can't ask you any more questions. Okay. And well, if you think of them, you let me know. Um, I will. I really appreciate you doing this. I, I really thought I thought this was wonderful. Um, and I and I think you, you dug through a lot of personal stuff over a lot of decades, which can't be easy. And um, I really appreciate your desire for other people to hear it. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed myself. I'm glad. This is an after dark. Use the length of time she's had diabetes as the title. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. I also want to thank the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter and remind you that you deserve an accurate and easy to use blood glucose meter. Find out more at contournext.com forward slash juice box. And take the T1D Exchange survey, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. You just have to be a U.S. resident and have type 1 or care for someone with type 1. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast.